Hello and welcome back to Warrior Walker. We're so glad you've joined us today and we hope that you and your loved ones are safe. If you or anyone you know is in any kind of physical or um, emotional danger or your safety is being threatened or theirs is, please do not hesitate to contact the National Center for Domestic Violence hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. Today I'd like to talk with you briefly about um, what I guess I will call continuing abuse. Um, up to this point, the majority of my podcasts and the main point of them has been, and still is, but the main um, purpose and goal of it ultimately is to be a ministry to help number one abuse victims overcome basically the brainwashing that they've undergone especially christian wives who believe that the bible and god tells them that it's their job to submit to an abusive husband but nowhere in the bible does it say that um, in fact, Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And twofold part, second part of that twofold mission, for me personally anyway, is to try to help um, abuse victims escape, especially women victims of domestic violence, escape their abusive husbands and, and take that step and do it cautiously, wisely, and safely, as safely as possible. But... Unfortunately, there can at times, sometimes, and oftentimes, unfortunately, be a cost. Um, the abuse doesn't ever go away, especially if you've been married to your abuser. And most especially, especially, especially if you have children together. And so this podcast episode today, I'm just going to give you um, several examples of some of the things that my own ex-husband did. Um after I separated from and then later divorced him. And these examples are mixed up. They're not, I'm not giving to them to you in any kind of chronological order whatsoever. Um, I'm just, I just kind of jotted them down on, on my phone, actually, in a note to myself, like a little text message to myself. And so they're not in any chronological order whatsoever. In other words, they're not in the order of which they occurred or which they happened, okay? And what prompted me um, to this was actually mm -hmm. um, Patrick Weaver Ministries on his Facebook page he asked a question. He said, if you've dealt with an abuser, complete this sentence. And I'm reading right from his Facebook page to give him credit. He says, if you've dealt with an abuser, complete this sentence. I knew they were depraved without sympathy, compassion, care, or concern for the damage their behavior caused me when... And um, I had a, a couple of responses. My first response says, too many to count, but the very first one was when I was shoved onto the bed 10 times in a row and he did not allow me to stand up. And then my second one, I posted just two there, was when he called me from jail, which was against the state mandated restraining order, which there was one of those issued because he had strangled me. 
and he called me from jail to ask me if I was going to press charges against him and then informed me that he had decided that if I had died at his hand, he would have claimed involuntary murder. He never once asked if I was okay, never once showed any remorse or anything for having harmed his wife, right? So those were my um, two kind of knee-jerk responses. So I'm telling you these things that my husband did to give you some idea of what could happen um, and just to hopefully be cautious. These aren't necessarily, obviously it's different for everyone, so these aren't necessarily things that your abuser will or will not do. It's, like I said, it's different for everyone, but just to give you an idea of things that could happen. Um, one thing I didn't write down on my notes, which actually, um, there's a couple that involve money, but ironically, most of them do not involve money. But one thing I did not write on uh, down in my notes, in my text message to myself that I just thought of as I'm starting to talk here, um, was the $13,000 in his 401k. Um, one thing my ex-husband did when I separated from him for the third and final time in our marriage, which was... Uh, lasted a grand total of 17 years. That third and final separation, um, my ex-husband started draining his 401k account um, because I found out that he was draining it because legally I was entitled to 50% of his 401k as his wife. Um, especially if we went into divorce proceedings, um, because I was a stay-at-home mom almost the entire time we were married. And so he was trying to keep that money from me, so he was taking it out and depleting those funds in whatever ways he could, and he was a huge fan of loans. So he was taking out tons and tons of loans against his 401k without my signature, which I'm pretty sure should have been illegal, um, but it was in his name because it was for his work, and to him, that money was his. But legally, in our state, um, I found out from our old church's financial advisor, I was very naive to it, and he was like, Gwenna, don't you see what's happening? I could tell he thought I was so naive, and I really was. He's like, He's and they all loved my ex-husband at the church and he was just in shock. I could tell. And he goes, Gwenna, he's draining the 401k because 50% of the monies he has in there are legally yours. It's legally yours because you've been a housewife. You're a housewife. So that was one thing. By the time I discovered what he'd been doing, there was only $13,000 left in his 401k. And so I quickly took action to protect try to protect that money and, and get what was rightfully mine. Um, you know, homemakers and I homeschooled the kids for 10 years. You know, we don't get paid anything. Our paycheck is our husband's paycheck. You know, we're stay-at-home moms. And so um, we do lots of different jobs, obviously. And there's a, there used to be at least a stigma in society where, you know, we kind of typically don't respect um, housewives and, and stay at home moms as much. And it sh obviously should not be that way. But so an another thing that my ex-husband did, um, let's see, let me go here. Um, 
well, I'll just start. It's not in any kind of order. I was going to try to do it in order, but there, it's just, it's not. Um, also, our third and final separation, I repeatedly asked him to come visit the children, his children. Um, in retrospect, I was way too nice to him when it came to the kids um, because he, you know, abused me, his wife. Physically, emotionally, financially, and in spiritually in numerous ways, almost every way you can imagine. And, um, you know, when, when a husband abuses his wife, he is in effect abusing his children. Um, and so, uh, but back then I was still, you know, kind of brainwashed and wasn't quite empowered. And so I was begging him um, for like the first month after our third and final separation you know, please come visit your children. They miss you. They're saying, where's daddy, blah, 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 you know, and I had kicked him out of the house because he had abused me again. Um, he had shoved me and spat in my face, which is a class D felony in my state. And I didn't know that at the time, or I totally would have pressed charges. Well, back then I wouldn't have, but nowadays, if I had it to do over again, I definitely would have pressed charges both times. But anyway, um, so after about a month, I finally found out where he was staying, where he had been staying. And he had been staying in a motel for, excuse me, for about a month um, in a little suburb of the town where we lived. That was like about 20 to 30. It was about 30 minutes away. So I called this hotel. Excuse me. And I spoke to the manager and the manager was a Hindu man. And when the manager heard who I was and who I was asking for, this Hindu manager started yelling at me, like literally yelling and screaming at me on the phone, accusing me of being a horrible mother and a bad wife, but especially a horrible mother because I'm a horrible person because I had allegedly kept my children from seeing their father. That was not the truth at all. I had been begging him to come see them for a month, you know, and that lit me up so badly, so much. And by lit me up, I mean, it made me feel so angry because obviously my husband had lied to this Hindu manager and this guy believed every word my ex-husband had told him. And I felt so angry. And this was the second person that I told the truth of what my husband actually did to me and how he had physically abused me. And I told the Hindu manager very calmly, very politely, the truth that my husband at the time that we were separated, that he had been physically abusing me and that he had shoved me and spat in my face right in front of the children and that I had been begging him for almost a month to come see his children and he had been refusing in an effort to manipulate me, I'm sure, what else could it have been, to try to get me to return to his abuse and our marriage. This Hindu manager, bless his heart, I mean, he shouldn't have believed one side of the story to begin with, but to his credit, he apologized to me kind of up one side and down the other for, you know, making assumptions and believing him. And I was like, I was so angry and I knew he could tell I was angry. Um, 
because I'm the type of person, like, I don't get angry easily, but when I do, I have, like, this eerily calm tone of voice, <laughs> but everybody knows I'm angry, and it's actually terrifying, and I don't, like, it's not intentional, it's just kind of part of my personality, and um, I'm not mean, I'm just eerily calm, and it creeps everybody out, so, um, he believed me because he could tell by my tone of voice that I was telling the truth. Um, another thing my ex-husband did our third and final separation, um, before I finally divorced him three and a half years later was he deceived me. Um, this was another time, uh, that he deceived me with the 401k and he called me and he said, okay, well, I'm buying a mobile home and the flooring needs replaced. So I need to get $1,500 out of my 401k to buy flooring to put in this mobile home I'm buying so I have a place to live. And this place, this mobile home he was buying this place to live was like 10 minutes from where I lived. And he was kind of finally starting to come around and talk about, okay, I'm going to get this house so I have a place where the boys can come visit, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I, I, don't, I just thought, you know, maybe he didn't want the boys to come see him in a hotel or a motel. But that's ridiculous. They're your kids, you know. Don't be so prideful. But anyway, so... Against my better judgment, I went and met with him at the bank where the notary was because he needed me as his wife to sign the notary, sign with the document, a paper with a notary witnessing that I was there too because it was, you know, I was his wife and it was his 401k. And I mean, I was just so naive and ignorant at the time that I didn't put two and two together and realize, oh crap, he's deleting our money, not just his, but, um, so I went to some friends of mine from the church and one of them was a deacon and his wife. And I told them, I don't want to go do it because I know him well. And I'm pretty sure he's deceiving me somehow and playing some trick. He's got something up his sleeve and they didn't believe me. And they thought I was just assuming the worst about my ex-husband and the deacon encouraged me. He's like, well, just go do what he wants, get it over with, and then you'll never have to see him again, which is not wise advice at all, people, because whenever you do something a narcissist wants you to do once, that sets a precedent and they're going to expect you to do it again. Because you did it once, why wouldn't you do it again? So don't, don't ever fall for that, please. So anyway... Against my better judgment, I knew I was right deep down, but I kind of was convinced by the deacon that, okay, well, maybe I should give my abusive husband the benefit of the doubt. And I found out years later that my ex-husband had been telling everyone at the church that I was exaggerating his abuse of me, which at first it made sense. But then I was like, wait a minute. There shouldn't be abuse at all. Why was anyone okay with him saying, oh, well, yeah, I abuse her, but she's exaggerating how bad it really is. No, there shouldn't be abuse at all. Anyway, so against my better judgment, because I let the deacon of the church who meant well, it's not his fault that, like me, he assumed my husband was a kind and decent person, which obviously he wasn't, if you can do something like this to your own wife because we were still legally married, I went to the bank 
and I went to sign in front of the notary. And instead of $1,500, which was the amount he had quoted to me, it said $4,000. And I know he did it on purpose in public because, first of all, he didn't think I was smart enough to figure out what he was doing. And secondly, he knew I wouldn't raise a scene in, in public. And I was afraid of him enough to know that I, if I had raised a scene in public, he would find a way to punish me for it and physically abuse me later. So I did confront him, however, and I looked at him and I said, what's this? And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, it says right here, $4,000. I said, you told me $1,500 over the phone. And he goes, oh, I don't know, and feigned ignorance. This poor notary lady that was sitting there looked at me like, oh, dear God, there's going to be a huge dispute. <laughs> but again, I was afraid of him and I didn't want to create a scene. So I just looked at him and I said, I'm going to sign this, but I want you to know that I know what you're doing and what you did. And so I signed it. So um, another thing that he did to me was... Um, our second separation, which if you caught that, that means I went back to him because I was so brainwashed and messed up after he strangled me, he spent a night in jail. The next morning, he called me from jail, which was against, which is what I mentioned earlier on my um, comment on Patrick Weaver's ministry's Facebook page, um, he had strangled and suffocated me the night before, so he was spending a night in jail. Excuse me. The police had come out to our home, and this was a long time ago. Um, this was actually 20 years ago almost now. And so I'm, I'm finally able to speak about it without getting really upset or angry or sad. Um, but he called me the next morning from jail, which, first of all, he was not supposed to do that because... Um, when the police had come out and taken him to and handcuffed him and taken him to jail the night before, actually, I don't remember if they handcuffed him, but I know they took him to jail and he spent the night in jail. Um, the state that we live in mandated a court order um, for a restraining order against him to protect me from him. He was not allowed to call me. He was not allowed to come within like 500 feet from me or anything. And, of course, I had custody of the children. And so he violated that protective order the next morning to call me to ask if I was going to press charges. And he didn't once ask me if I was okay. He didn't show any sign of remorse. He never apologized. He acted as if it hadn't even happened except for one thing. He told me, that if I had died the night before when he had strangled and suffocated me, that he thought about it and he would have pled involuntary manslaughter so he wouldn't have to go to prison. So this man, instead of thinking, oh my gosh, what did I just do to my wife? <gasps> Are you okay? Like, instead of having remorse like a normal human being for what you've done to your wife after strangling and suffocating her, all he was concerned about was himself. Now, I understand I would be a little concerned about myself if I were in her, his shoes, but more than anything, I would be repentant and like, oh my gosh, are you okay? I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. 
But, you know, there's none of that with a covert narcissist or narcissist in this case, whichever he is. And it just was absolutely incredulous to me that anyone could be so insensitive, uncaring and lacking so much remorse, so lacking of remorse to not even think about instead of, oh, if you had died, I would have been sad. And what would the children have done without their mother? It was, oh, I would have pled involuntary manslaughter. What? Who thinks like this? That's crazy. You know, um, another thing he did um, was a, about a year into our third and final separation, he called me and he called me and said, are we getting back together or are we getting divorced? I need to know because I need sex. Okay. <laughs> First of all, we're separated because you were abusive. Do you really think I want to have sex with you? Are you stupid? Like, I try really hard to be judgmental, but even I can't deny that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, you know? And secondly, he totally revealed how completely egotistical, selfish, and narcissistic he is with that question. Like, who does that? Who calls your ex-husband or ex-wife a year after a separation having abused you and says, are we getting back together? Or are we getting divorced? Because I need sex. Oh my goodness. Like, what was he thinking? Um, I found out shortly after that, which my children back then would volunteer information to me without me even asking. I didn't care what he did. He was gone for me as long as it didn't affect my children and he's away from me and I'm safe and they're safe. I don't care what he does with his life. But I found out shortly after he called me and asked me that he got a girlfriend from Russia or the Ukraine. And apparently during that last third and final separation, he had like three girlfriends from Russia or the Ukraine. And years later, apparently, according to my children who volunteered information um, unsolicited again, he married a lady from Russia in Mexico where he's from. And they're still married, but I guess she still lives in Russia because of COVID and her visa. And I don't know what, I don't know. And I don't care. And my boys are grown adult men, so they can, you know, I'm not as worried about them. They can, you know, fend for themselves now. Um, and I taught them as well as I could, especially considering the circumstances I was in with living with an abusive ex-husband or an abusive husband at the time. So I just could not believe like, I can't even fathom how you would think it was plausible, acceptable, or anywhere near okay to call and ask a question like that. And I remember saying something to the effect of, did you really seriously just ask me that right now? And then hanging up. <laughs> um, another thing he did was, and so you see the abuse was just continuing. Um, he would repeatedly accuse me of not letting him see his children, but he was the one who kept refusing to visit them. Or he like we would have set visitation for him from the divorce decree. It was mediated and he would constantly try to change it and then yell at me and try to accuse me of not following the divorce papers if I didn't do whatever he wanted, but I had the papers right in front of me and he was the one who was trying to violate them. 
In fact, I even had told my children back then, he's still your father. You still need to respect him. Um, but I tried very hard to hide the abuse from the children. Another thing that I found out after the fact that he had done was he went around telling everyone who would listen to him at the church that we had been attending that I was the sinner because I was the one who filed for divorce. Not to mention, never mention, never mind the fact that he had repeatedly abused me and serious abuse, strangulation, um, suffocation, uh, choking, shoving me, um, you know, all slapping, all kinds of abuse. He didn't mention that, but he told everyone so he could make himself look better, I would assume. I'm not trying to judge his motive, but why else would he do that? That I was a sinner because I was the one who filed for divorce. And so I got a very bad reputation in the church because of that. A lot of it was because of that. And I didn't even realize it until later. I kind of sensed something was up, but I didn't know exactly what. And like seven, eight years later, people started contacting me and apologizing to me for not having a, believed me about my ex-husband's abuse of me when we were in the church, telling me that he had been that he had told everyone that I had exaggerated his abuse of me um, and that, you know, that he had told them that I was the one who sinned because I was the one who filed for divorce. Well, I'm sorry, but hell yeah, I filed for divorce. I stayed with you for 17 years total, tried everything to fix our marriage because I thought I was the problem. Of course, of course, I'm going to file for divorce. You know, I even went back to him after he strangled and suffocated me. How crazy is that? And he still tried to accuse me of being the sinner because I filed for divorce eventually. Um, there were also... There was also constant conflict and drama about his alleged, my alleged violations of his visitation rights. I never did that. Never, ever did that. You know, if he needed to change visitation, I would try to work it out with him, even though it irritated me and it was not. It was against the divorce decree. If I needed to change division, uh, something with visitation, I would contact him and ask if that was okay. Um, another thing. Um, <laughs> the third and final separation, he deliberately withheld financial support for the children and for me in any type of way, shape or form in an attempt to manipulate me back into the marriage relationship. He knew that I was unemployed. I was actually unemployed for 15 months after I finally separated from him and divorced him. And um, that whole time I was looking for a job and I was working Monday through Friday, eight to five with an hour for lunch, looking for a job, um, you know, refining my resume, completing applications online and in person, taking classes at work one to try to improve my resume and improve my skills. You know, I was doing everything I possibly could. And he absolutely refused to give me one penny um, for about a year. And then I finally discovered there was this program in my state called Title 4D and you could apply for it. And if you would get interviewed and if you were accepted, you pay a one-time $25 fee for life. And they basically 
um, garnish the wages of deadbeat dads and force them to pay child support. So I was instantly and immediately approved for that program when I went to the in-person interview. The guy's like, yeah, you definitely qualify. He's like, you're one of the most clear-cut cases I've ever seen. There's no question whatsoever you qualify. This guy has truly abused you. And thank God, um, after a year of not receiving one penny from him financially, and God took care of us. I mean, God provided in so many ways. It was so miraculous. So, so thankful to God. And then this Title D, uh, Title 4D program was also one of the ways I feel God provided because um, what ended up happening was not only did they garnish my ex-husband's wages for like until my children were going to be emancipated and until they were emancipated, which basically means they're an adult and they can, you know, financially be responsible for themselves. Um, and they forced him to pay child support through automatic deductions from his paycheck where he worked, which is what garnishing basically means. But they also um, ordered him to pay me a lump sum paycheck, a lump sum check, not paycheck, excuse me. They ordered him to pay me a lump sum check for the year he had refused to pay even a penny of child support for our children, for his children, for my children, for our children. I got a lump sum check after a year of not a penny of $7,000. And I cried. Let me tell you, I sobbed when I received that. I didn't even know that was going to happen. It was such a blessing. And then um, something else he kept doing was he kept making repeated attempts to make himself look good in the public image. For example, at our old church, um, there was this food ministry they had once a month on a Saturday morning. I think it was around 10 o'clock. And families could go and pay $30 and get this huge, humongous box of food for the month just for $30. And it would include all kinds of food, some fresh food, like some fresh fruits, fruits and vegetables, some frozen food. Um, a lot of times, oftentimes it would have like frozen chicken in it, like all kinds of food. And so because that first year of our separation, he wasn't paying me a penny, I started going to that and paying 30 bucks a month. And the first time I went there, guess who was there making himself look good by volunteering to pass food out to the community in need. And guess who was going through the line for the community in need? So embarrassing. And in case you didn't guess, it was me with our children. And that man glared at me when he saw me go through because he knew it made him look bad. Um, That was just one example of repeatedly trying to make himself look good in the community. Um, and probably the biggest thing that for me that he did, and you might disagree that it's the biggest thing, but when I finally filed for divorce, he was so angry and he told me that he literally said to me, and I quote, I will take those boys away from you if it's the last thing I do, quote unquote. And by those boys, he was referring to our children. He told me that he was going to take them to Mexico and get lost and I would never see them again. And that was one of the threats he had used to me during our marriage. But 
you know, which during the divorce procedure and mediation, I discovered from my lawyer that he couldn't have done that. That was an empty threat, but I didn't know. Like, I believed him because apparently Mexico has a treaty with the United States of America and that they would have gone after him and found him and brought the kids back to me if he had actually done something like that. But um, he did say when I, you know, finally was divorcing him and finally divorced him, he said, I'm going to take those boys away from you if it's the last thing I do. And those words haunt me to this day. And you know what? I made some mistakes, but in large part, it is due to his parental alienation. He has successfully turned one of our sons against me in his adulthood. And my mistakes as a parent did not help. But um, it's very clear to me that he has done that. And um, we still have lots of mutual friends that tell me things. And I know for a fact that he told my children that, well, one of my children... Um, through one of our mutual friends who told me this and they don't lie and they don't get anything wrong <laughs> that, um, I was the problem basically not in those words, but that was the idea. And the exact words my ex-husband told my son was, we got rid of that problem referring to me <laughs> as if I was the problem. And so he has used parental alienation to befriend my now estranged son, who's been estranged from me going on four years now. And my son, I just, I never imagined this happening with him um, because both of our children are extremely intelligent, but I'm extremely intelligent too, to be fair. And I was able to be fooled by my ex-husband, you know, um, he totally brainwashed me and I truly believe he has totally brainwashed my son. And I just always assumed that my sons would, you know, eventually they'd grow up and they'd figure out for him themselves. Oh, wow. Look what actually happened. But I also made the mistake of in trying to cover up his abuse of me in trying to protect my children from seeing my ex-husband abuse me, I guess I must have done way too good a job because I don't think my estranged son believes that his father ever abused me. And the total opposite is obviously true. There's even a police report and my ex-husband tries to say that the police lied. Like, why would they do that? That's so stupid. Of course, it's not a lie. So anyway, um, those are just a few, several of the things that, you know, have gone on since um, I became free of my abusive ex-husband by finally divorcing him. Um, I tried everything. I tried counseling. I tried getting him to go to counseling. I went to secular counseling myself. I went to biblical counseling myself. I assumed I was the problem in the marriage and tried to fix myself. And tried to listen to the church's teachings, which were well-intended, but they don't apply, do not apply at all to abusive 
marriages and situations that, you know, oh, just be a gentle and quiet spirit and you'll win your husband over. No, that doesn't work in abusive situations because it doesn't depend on the wife's behavior. These abusive men and abusive husbands are explosive with no provocation, provocation whatsoever. We can, you cannot blame the wife. You cannot blame the victim for the husband's choice to abuse for the husband's what I call going off the deep end for the husband's rage and fits of rage, uncontrollable, volatile fits of rage. It is not always provoked. In fact, a lot of times they just go off for no reason. My ex-husband was prescribed prescription medication in the beginning of our marriage for, uh, he was prescribed antidepressants. And I, to this day, believe he's bipolar. He would never go see if he was bipolar in the whole first 13 years of our marriage. But then when there was a restraining order against him, suddenly he decided to go to a doctor or a psychiatrist and he calls me. No notice whatsoever says, hey, I'm at the doctor or the psychiatrist. I can't remember which one it was, but he calls me and says, hey, I'm there to see. He needs to talk to you with me right now to see if I actually am bipolar like you used to suspect and tell me all the time. And he never went and checked it out before. And he goes, can you come right now? I'm like, uh, no, click. Like, dude, you have thir- you had 13 plus years and it, it was very clear to me by that time because I had finally started becoming empowered that this was just another one of his manipulation tactics to try to get me back into the marriage. But these abusive husbands, they explode for no reason. A lot of times, most of the time, actually, in my case, anyway. So we have got to stop blaming wives for, oh, well, what did you do? Don't poke the bear. That's stupid. Guess what? Bears sometimes get angry for no reason. There's nobody around them. Like, stop blaming the victim. We've got to stop blaming the victim. So anyway, um, those are just some of the things, several of the things I went through after the abuse. Obviously, the most devastating one to me is the break in relationship with my beloved precious son and as I said it's partially my fault I am partially to blame I accept my part in the blame I accept responsibility I've apologized to him I asked forgiveness I don't think he probably remembers that I asked forgiveness but I have apologized to him repeatedly for my part in making mistakes as a parent which we all do Um, but I was very repentant and it took me I was actually almost suicidal for a while because I blamed myself so much for that loss of my relationship with my son. And then I finally realized, okay, yes, stop beating yourself up. Yes. Talking to myself, right? In my mind and in my head. Like, yes, stop beating yourself up. Yes, you made mistakes, but you can't go go back and change the past. Number one. Number two, you are repentant. Number three, you have changed. And number four, you have asked forgiveness. You have apologized. And so a large part, my ex-husband, my abusive ex-husband has my estranged son completely convinced that I'm a horrible person. He does. And that I'm a problem and that all I do is cause problems. You know what? I am not afraid 
of conflict and I will confront issues if they need to be confronted. It's not my favorite thing to do. And um, I've been told by people who are close to me and know me really well that I have changed a lot over the years. And I really hope and pray that one day my estranged son will give me a chance to prove that and will hopefully stop believing whatever lies have been put in his head. Um, I know one of the lies that has been put in his head, and I'm not sure whether it's by my ex-husband or someone else, is something he said to me not long before he stopped speaking to me and talking to me. And that was, he made an accusation to me. He accused me of something. And he said, you, to me, my, my now estranged son had said to me, you alienated every single family member. And you know what? For many years, I did blame myself for that. I thought everything's all my fault. Well, it can't possibly be all my fault. But um, I've been in counseling off and on for many years, and all the counselors have said the same thing, that I have a very, an extremely toxic extended family on both sides of the divorce. When I say both sides of my family, what I mean and what I'm referring to is, you know, my mother's side and my father's side because they divorced when I was five. Um, my siblings, I have siblings from my mother's side. I have siblings from my father's side. They don't even know each other. Like, that's how toxic my family is. And I wanted them to know each other, but they don't care what I want. You know, I don't really fit in with either side of the family. And so the truth is, although I also made mistakes and I have owned up and taken responsibility for those mistakes with my extended family, and I have apologized repeatedly in the past, um, they're the ones who alienated me. For example, when I had my children, they never came around. Um, my father and one sibling, one sister, would come around once or twice a year around the time of one of my boy's birthdays. It would be, sometimes it'd be one son, sometimes it'd be the other son. And they might invite us, uh, usually they would invite us for either Thanksgiving or Christmas. So we basically saw my family twice a year. Um, and we weren't that far away. And, you know, when my children were born, I got told by one of my parents, oh, you're too far away. We can't see your kids, you and the kids very often because you're so far away. We were an hour away at the time. When my siblings' uh, children, sorry, when my siblings' children were born, they lived over three hours away from that same parent and they were there almost every weekend. So, Excuse my French. I know this is a Christian channel and I apologize, but I call bullshit like the card game. Um, it's just I did not alienate my family. They alienated me. And you know what? I was OK with that because there are several members on at least one side of my family anyway that are alcoholics and that don't admit they're alcoholics. And, you know, anytime I've tried to bring it up, I don't judge them, but I didn't want that around my children. You know, I want to break that generational curse. And the other side of my family, they're extremely emotional. Oh, my goodness. Everything is screaming and drama. And <laughs> I just I don't like that. And um, so I didn't alienate my family. My family alienated me, you know. And when I left my abusive ex-husband, I didn't have a place to go, Um that third and final separation, or maybe 
Maybe it was the second one, but one of the separations, I didn't have any money. I didn't have any place to go. So I called one of my parents and said, I separated from my husband. Can the boys and I stay with you? And that parent said, no, you know, I understand that I'm a grown adult, you know, but everybody needs help once in a while. And if my child ever needs help, I don't care how old they are. I'm going to be there for them. That's ridiculous. So clearly and obviously I have a very toxic family. Um, and it's really hard because, you know, I'm alone and by myself most of the time now as an adult, but it's also peaceful. You know, I remember I actually dreaded going to those holiday reunions because there was always some drama and it almost in inevitably got blamed on me. In fact, when I stopped going to the holidays, which was a huge relief for me, um, because I wasn't stressed out all the time. There wasn't so much anxiety, which we didn't know it was called anxiety at the time. But now I know um, it was so much peaceful, even though I was lonely. It was so much more peaceful, even though I was lonely, because I wasn't constantly being scapegoated anymore. But I was <laughs> the very first holiday I didn't go to. Some drama happened. I was literally hundreds of miles away and it got back to me that somehow they found a way to blame me in their minds. Like, what the heck? I wasn't even there. You people are freaking crazy. <laughs> but anyway, um, so, you know, and I've, as a Christian, you know, um, I've accepted the grace of Jesus Christ and I'm grateful that I have a God, a father that loves me, you know, because my parents they try their best, but they don't really know how to love. You know, one of them doesn't really talk to me at all ever. And anytime they do, they try to blame me for the stuff they pulled, including illegal things against me. You know, it's just really super unhealthy and toxic. And then the other one, like they try and, but they don't, they don't want to discuss anything. They don't want to they avoid conflict and just keep sweeping it under the rug. And these issues are why I married into abuse in the first place, because that's what I was used to. And so oftentimes that can happen to us. Typically those of us who have been raised in abuse, that's what we know. And we don't even realize that's like kind of almost like our comfort zone. And so we just kind of inadvertently gravitate toward it. And it's so incredibly unhealthy. So as a Christ follower now, and as a Christian, I'm trying really hard to break those generational curses in my family. And, you know, um, I appreciate those of you listening and, you know, allowing me to share my story. Hopefully this will bless someone. Um, hopefully it'll be eye-opening to someone. You know, I always say, and it's true, if my podcasts can help one person, then the embarrassment of my vulnerability is well worth it. You know, I care about you guys, and I don't want you guys to go through some of this crap I had to go through. I don't want to feel sorry, anyone to feel sorry for me. I'm not trying to play the victim. I'm just sharing the facts of what happened to me so that if you recognize something in this story, in your story, or like one time... I had a mom from my old church contact me because she had heard one of my podcast episodes here and was like, Hey, Gwenna, I love your podcast. Thank you for sharing them. Can I, can you do me a huge favor? She's like, she told me this was a few, a couple of years ago. She's like, my daughter's being abused by her boyfriend. How can I help her? 
can you do a podcast for me about how to help someone you know who's being abused? And so, you know, um, and I've had multiple people private message me on Facebook Messenger and things like that and tell me thank you for sharing my story. Um, so that makes it all worth it. You listeners make it all worth it. And um, thankfully, my podcast, this podcast, um, praise God, it's been listened to in 13 countries and um, all different platforms um, Apple and Spotify and Anchor and all different platforms. Um, it's been listened to by a lot of people. And so I really hope and pray that this is a blessing to you, whether it, you know, um, causes you to wake up and realize, oh, hey, I'm actually being abused. And, and, you know, nobody wants to believe that someone who's pledged and vowed to love them and protect them for the, and cherish them for the rest of their lives is actually the one they need to be protected from and the one who is not safe for them, you know? Um, so hopefully it's either helped you, you know, emerge from that brainwashing and the manipulation and the abuse um, and become empowered or hopefully it's, you know, struck a chord with you or you recognize something that's happened to you or there's something similar going on with you. I mean, I'm not, not that I want that to be happening to you, but if it is, I hope that these podcasts will help you. These podcast episodes will help you to identify that, to recognize it, um, and to admit it and, and not live in denial about it because that's really easy to do. Because if you're like me and you're kind of an empath, you don't want to see the bad in people, you know, um, you want to give everyone the benefit of the doubt so to speak. And so um, it does cause us to have trust issues also naturally because we can't trust anyone because the people who were supposed to love and protect us did no such thing. So um, I'm about out of time, but there are some examples for you of post escape abuse, I guess, that can happen. And this is just touching on the surface of what could happen. There's so much more. Um, and, um, you know, I hope and pray that God is, you know, keeping you safe um, and that you're being wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove, but mostly wise as a serpent in the case of abuse. Mm -hmm. And I care about you. I love you. But way more importantly, Jesus loves you more. Thanks for listening. God bless you. And until next time, stay safe. Love you guys. Bye bye.